it is a balance. You don't want to write fluff that nobody's interested in reading, but you're also writing for thousands of different people. So you need to sometimes have parts in detail and give people a way to find the bit that's interesting to them. Welcome to Unmiss, your go-to digital marketing hub. I'm Anatoly Ulatovsky, here with expert tips and exclusive chats to boost your online game. Let's get started. Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Hello, bad people. Welcome to our show. Hello, guys. Welcome. Today, we are going to discuss about thinking your revenue, how you can increase revenue, how you change your strategy, how you can grow your business and many, many different insights. So valuable insights. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with John Ainsworth. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm really good. Nice to see you. Big pleasure. Wanna learn more. It's important for me because I need to grow my business as well. Many things to do. And uh, I'm a busy person. I have no time to consider all insights. So I love to learn uh, what can help me. It's important for my audience because it's like the main goal of any business to grow, to scale, how to go ahead. John, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you. Yeah, so my background was that for many years, I was working building funnels to get people into uh, physical activity. So I was working in the fitness space. And so I did that for years and years. And what I found eventually is uh, I, I remember reading Dotcom Secrets. You know that book from Russell Brunson back in the day, probably like mid-2010, something like that. And I, I, uh, I read that and I was like, this stuff is incredible like it really helped me learn a lot more about funnels and I started getting really good at it and what happened was that I got so good at building funnels that I would then I was working with like gyms or martial arts clubs or yoga studios this kind of thing I would fill them up and I was like and then they didn't need my help anymore and I was like well this really sucks so I've got a couple of options here either I could just do it a little bit worse which sounds like no fun at all or I can go find another audience who have got unlimited supply. And so I tested out working with like SaaS businesses and e-commerce businesses and online courses. And now what we've done is we've narrowed down to just working with these online course businesses. And on average, what we're finding is we can normally about five times their revenue, which is just really great fun because people start working with us and we can turn people into millionaires. You know, it's just like, this is, this is a really, really kind of fun game that we've got going here. Um, so that's kind of my main focus. The stuff that I work on and that we can talk through today works whether you've got e-commerce or SaaS or online course or whatever kind of online business, the same tactics apply. And I can kind of talk through some of the nuance of it. But our, our real focus is we work with the, um, the online course businesses and we like build these funnels for them. And it works so well that we mostly charge people just based on results now. So they, if they don't make more money, then they don't pay us anything because we know that it'll work. So that's really, really fun. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, I remember one tip from my brother. Um, he told me, if you want to double your business, hire two more people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, uh, it doesn't work like this. You know, of course I can <laughs> hire more people, uh, two times more, but it doesn't mean that I can scale. And I often see stagnation uh, with my clients, customers, with my audience, uh, for example, when you achieve something meaningful, but it's hard to scale, it's hard to go ahead, it's hard to find something else uh, uh, because it's not only to scale, you need to develop in a way what you have, even having something uh, doesn't mean that your competitors uh, are not looking for ways how to uh, 
to replace you uh, on the market to take your uh, uh, part of the trade so tell what to do for businesses if they have this uh, stagnation when uh, nothing changes for a long time yeah and we see this a lot right so i had a client we're working with at the moment he'd been making about $25,000 a month in his business for like last couple of years and he's getting frustrated because he's like it's just not growing i've got this kind of stagnation like you're talking about and we worked with him in the second month he was able to make $120,000 that month so this kind of thing is sometimes possible now it's not everybody's in that situation where they've got everything set up like him but i'll talk you through the three main areas that i see where people are um, not implementing what they need to have in place in order to grow the business so i'm going to assume that you already, if you're running an online business, you've already got an audience of some sort. It might be they're coming in through ads or they're from um, a YouTube channel or a podcast or search engine optimization, something like that. And you've already got a product that people really like. I'm gonna assume those two things are in place. And the part I deal with is I help people to get the audience to buy the product and to buy more of it. Like that's the kind of the part that we work on. And that's the part that a lot of people don't, interestingly, don't pay that much attention to. Certainly the people who I talk with regularly. They're focusing on building more of an audience and then building better products or more products, but they don't focus enough on how do you convert the audience to buy the product. So within that gap there, there's three different steps that I see that people are going wrong. Most people aren't getting, their email list is too small. They're not getting enough of their audience onto their email list. Second thing is they're not making enough sales to their email list. And the third thing is their revenue per sale is much lower than it could be. So those are the three steps. And I can talk as much as you like about the details of any of those, but that's kind of the overview of it. Yeah, awesome. Well, well. Uh, John, I want to ask about uh, overselling. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, okay, you have audience, mm -hmm. but how to find the balance between uh, overselling, uh, be pushy now uh, with uh, sales uh, because people hate it. And I remember... Yeah. Uh, even great resources like Search Engine Journal, once I open a new article, yeah, valuable article, I need this information, but iPhone paid ads in the top, in the bottom, in the right side, and then pop-up window appealed in the center of the screen. So, uh, I think it depends on people. Most people can leave such websites uh, and I see overselling everywhere. Uh, of course, we, we need sales. Uh, it's uh, blood of our business, but can, how to find this balance between uh, be pushy, uh, but uh, sharing value and yeah, not overselling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the biggest issues. This is like the block that most people have is that they see that, well, I could make more money if I promote more but I don't want my email list, everybody on my audience to think that I'm spammy and salesy and lose my whole audience and then nobody will buy from me in future. And that is the, it's a false dichotomy. So people think it's one or it's the other. Now, and everybody, it's really interesting, right? Because if you look at email promotions, this is one of the places where I see this the most strongly, is everybody knows that email promotions work because they send out Black Friday promotions and they get some sales in. They get a lot of sales in. They have their biggest month of the year. And they don't send out a promotion the next month or the month after that or the one after that because they're worried about being too promotional. So what I'm here to tell you is it is possible to have email promotions that go out that are incredibly valuable, that are giving people information that is useful, that makes them want to stay subscribed to your email list and 
move people towards the sale at the same time. It's not doing one or doing the other. It's doing both of them together. Now, when you start to do that, then your audience starts to message you and say, I love these emails that you're sending me. This is so useful. I'm so grateful for it. And they stay subscribed and the unsubscribe rate can go down. And at the same time, the number of sales that you make goes up. Now, I can talk you through the basic concepts of it and I can go in specifically for the kind of clients we work with, online course creators, I can go into the details of exactly how you do that. Like, But the, the details of it will vary, but the overall concepts are kind of the same. What we're basically looking to do is choose whatever the topic is that we are going to make a sale around and then provide people lots of value about that. Now, a simple way of doing that would be linked to useful articles that you've already written about that that are available, you know, useful information for free or linked to videos that you've done around that that are useful information about that topic or about that product or whatever the problem is that people are trying to solve. And in those, you're not making any promotion at all. You do that for a week and just send out content that's around that topic. And then what's going to happen is all the people who are interested in that topic are going to be paying more attention to your emails because they're like, oh, this is for me. This is useful to me, this kind of thing. And so the next week when you start the promotion, they're going to be more likely to open the people who are interested in that in that particular area. Then you get into the promotional week and you have six emails go out in five days and three of them are nearly all value. And you're doing three things in here. You're going through pain, agitation and solution and then you've got another three emails that are going going gone and so i'll talk you through each of those so the pain one is about what is the problem that these people are currently experiencing what is it that is wrong in their life that they need to do something about and what you're trying to do is help them understand that problem better than they've ever understood it themselves what is it that's actually the real issue here let's say that they're dealing with training that the, the, the topic is that the thing we're going to sell is around how can they get their dog not to pee on the carpet and so what you want to do is explain to them what the real problem is now i don't know anything about dog training right but the person who's the dog training expert who's sending a course on it or a product about it or what have you really understands that much better than their audience so they can explain right this is why this is happening this is the reason that you've got this issue then the agitation one is talking about what that means to that person's life and what it means to that dog's life and why this is an issue that needs dealing with and you really bring that to life and the solution one you're providing a tip like here's something specific you can do today to go fix that that's going to take you less than 15 minutes and at the end of each of those if it's an online course sale then we're going to be promoting um that this course that actually solves this problem much more thoroughly than these emails we're talking uh, that we're sending to you now is on sale for 30% off this week. And then the going, going, gone emails are more regular promotional emails. So they are frequently asked questions, testimonials, case studies. And then in each one, we're reminding people that discount's going to end in two days, one day, a few hours time. And that's the basic structure to it. And so out of those emails, six of the nine are more value than they are promotional, but they're also moving people towards the sale. And the, that combination, how you do those things together, is how you manage to not be too promotional, have people like getting the emails and make more sales as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice, love it. Um, John, I wanna uh, start from the beginning of okay. uh, any journey, uh, even not customers, even businesses. Uh, uh, I think, um, I often see when companies have their own strategy. For example, uh, I spoke with many clients, potential clients, uh, new clients who uh, share the previous strategy, a marketing strategy, and what I found uh, 
companies often chase uh, vanity metrics like volume, uh, likes, comments, views, uh, but it doesn't help to sell if mm-hmm. you even get this traffic. And I remember a great example uh, from one webmaster who lost uh, 400,000 traffic because Google dropped his ranking positions but he didn't lose any sales <laughs> so he got a lot of traffic he spent resources to deserve this traffic but uh, this traffic didn't convert uh, because of their own strategy it's not like high volume it's not like uh, um, anything else for example if i take the topic seo in the first it's hard to get results with this topic because uh, big competitors in the top 10 Ahrefs, uh, Neil Patel, Moss, Google itself. Uh, in the second, it doesn't mean that I can sell SEO services by having uh, this keyword in the top 10 to get this traffic. Uh, it's better to pay attention to traffic value, uh, less traffic, but uh, that can convert. Can you tell how to find metrics uh, before starting any marketing campaigns? Well, analyze this metrics. Yeah, so the part that that I can definitely help with is how do you figure out which of the sources you've got are mm-hmm. gonna, are converting? Because we can look at stuff like you know when someone gets onto your email list, are they actually what percentage of those people are actually buying, mm-hmm. and what source did someone get onto your email list from? So if you're running, so for example, right, um, this isn't always easy to do. This is this is not a terribly simple, straightforward kind of a system. But um, I'll give you an example. We run with some of our clients. Uh, ads. So we don't run the ads ourselves, but our partners run the ads for the client. And what we'll do is we'll make a copy of the original funnel. And so we're running ads to a lead magnet to get someone on the email list. And then we have a sale uh, to those people selling different products. And we don't know if they're going to buy straight away, but they might buy within a week or a month, what have you. Because we're running it to a new funnel, we're able to track exactly who came in from those particular ads. And then we put that in a separate spreadsheet and we're analyzing over time how much money did you make back from those people? Were those people actually buying? Now, within that, this is where it starts to get tricky. You might have lots of different audiences that the ads are running to. And you might have lots of different um, creative that you're showing and different copy within the ads. And that it's then very difficult to tell, well, which of those audiences that you were showing the ads to converted into the sales. You don't know that Facebook, you can't track that the whole way through. So it does start to get tricky. But you can you can do some of this kind of work. I think some of what you're talking about in terms of the the keywords, which keywords are you going to target, is really about like what's the bottom end of the funnel with that. Like it's if someone's searching for something like SEO services London um, or SaaS SEO service or something, you know, like a really like, like a high value keyword that shows that they're actually trying to hire an agency to go do this that's going to be way more valuable to you than just searching someone searching for seo because who knows what you know what yeah. they're going to be interested in but yeah i'm re- i'm not an audience um expert i'm not a traffic expert i'm an expert at how, once someone gets onto the list how do you get more of them to buy so uh i think that's about as much as i kind of can say helping on that one mm-hmm. yeah well you will uh john you mentioned many times about email uh, mm-hmm. I think it's important uh, to use this tool. Uh, it works well. Uh, and remember, Brandin shares uh, his uh, methods to monetize the audience. And he tried many different things uh, to submit call to action, to pop up windows. And 
emails bring 99% of all his sales. Блок бэклинка. It's popular blog, but he collects emails and sends them offers. Uh, it's not simple today to collect uh, emails uh, and it's not simple to pitch them because uh, people get like plus 100 emails a day. I, I get a lot of them, most of them uh, spam. I lead them in the spam box, the best place where they can spend time together. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I usually get a lot of requests like, uh, do you need guest posting? Do you need uh, uh, other nonsense? Uh, uh, I know you're a fashion expert. Me? My t-shirt costs like $5, you know? <laughs> I'm not fashion expert. It's not my niche. So people don't learn me just uh, called email can you tell your methods how to write emails that people can't avoid how to touch emotions because 75 percent of all decisions are emotions so we need to give them the solid reason to open email and the solid reason to make action so your tips about that yeah so it really really starts with the customer avatar so the customer avatar is a a document that you put together that's outlining what your absolute ideal client is like and to get there the step before that is the customer avatar survey so when you've got your email list it's really important to survey your email list the buyers and the non-buyers separately to understand them to understand what are they really trying to solve what are their problems what are their desires what are their pain points what is it that's making them if they bought from you why did they buy if they didn't buy from you yet why not what stopped them What's their concerns? What's their sticking points? What things keep them up at night? What things are their greatest desires in life? And you ask these kind of questions in surveys. And then you take that data and you analyze it and you pull out from that who that customer avatar is. You know, part of the questions that you're asking of your buyers is their age and their gender and their ethnicity. Maybe, maybe that might be useful, might not. Um, their location, this kind of thing. So you can understand who your audience really is. So we've, for example, right, we did this with a client and they really thought that their target audience was like tech guys in their 20s. And it turns out that the people who bought their products were women with kids in their 40s. And it was like, I don't know how you got that quite so wrong, but it was incredibly valuable to know because now all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's why this thing sold so much better than this one. And everything started to make sense. So you do all of that research and you write up that outline about who your customer audience is. And that's including then that summary of what are the biggest pain points that your audience is uh, facing? What are the biggest desires that they have? And you take actual language that they're using and you use that in your description. And then you create something called a customer language document. And in there, you're pulling out the most common words and phrases that are used by your audience to describe all of these different things, their pains, their desires. And then when you're writing to them, that's what you use as your starting point. Lots of people I see, they write based on their imagination and their creativity and their thoughts and what they reckon might be interesting. And it's totally the wrong way to go around doing it. What you're writing for is for your audience. You're, you need to be helping your audience, show that you understand them. You need to be talking to the things that are deepest in their soul that they'd never admitted to anybody. But because you've asked so many people, you understand them better than they understand themselves. When you write them, they feel like, oh, my God, this person really gets me. He understands what I'm trying to achieve. He understands how bad I feel about it at the moment, the shame that I currently have, and he's going to help me to solve it. And that 
means that you really start to actually touch those emotions when you're writing those emails. And I outlined the kind of the structure that we use for those emails earlier, but this is exactly this is what you're writing in this is what you're actually talking to people about. That's for your sales pages, it's for your emails, it's for everything. Mm -hmm. um, I remember this famous quote from Mark Twain, uh, and he said, uh, I have no time to write a short mail, so letter. Uh, th that is why I write a long one. Mark Twain, uh, in his time, didn't have Twitter, didn't have emails, <laughs> and uh, recipients, people get a lot of emails every single day. They have no time to check them, like me. Uh, I, I can, uh, I don't remember how many emails I get every single day, plus 100 uh, emails every single day, and I have only 20 minutes to check them. Uh, so uh, it's hard to cut less necessary information from very important information you know you, you yeah. need to find the balance because uh, if i wanna share something with my customers i wanna give all benefits that customers can get by buying my products but i can't because if i write a lot people skip it uh, they will can see oh it's, it's a long one i have no time to read it can you tell how to write short emails that Mark Twain couldn't in his time, but we need to do it today. <laughs> yeah, so it's a really interesting one, right? Because there is a balance here. There's some people who are really interested in the thing that you're particularly talking about, who you can afford to then write longer emails for. And there's some people who only want to skim or only want to see just the, the, the briefest amount of information there. So one of the things that we do, and I know you asked about um, about emails, but I, I think if you talk about sales pages, it actually can make this point more strongly in terms of how this can work. So if you look at sales pages, lots of people look at long form sales pages and say no one's ever going to read all of that information. And it's true. People aren't going to read the whole page. It's very unlikely that anybody will read everything on there. But what we're doing is we're breaking it down into sections and each section has a subheading. And each subheading underneath it will have some bullet points and some long form text. And what happens is you're writing here for a wide variety of people who want a wide variety of ways of convincing them or just if it's the right product for them and deciding what's right for them. Some people want to see what did everybody else have to say about it? What's the testimonials? Some people want to see all the benefits. Some people want to see the features in detail so they can really analyze it and they're more kind of methodical on that. So what we'll do is we'll write the long form sales page with all of that different information. And there's 15 crucial elements that every high performing sales page must have. And we'll have subheadings throughout it that get people's attention. So if they're skimming through the page and they see the bit that's like, oh, that looks interesting. Here's the results section. That results headline is like pulling them in and getting their attention there. So you actually don't have to, if you, if you set it up right, you don't have to rely on people reading the whole thing. Now, I'll give you another example of that with emails. We have a kind of email that we send out, which is incredibly long. And I will almost guarantee that nobody reads the whole thing. It's a frequently asked questions email. And in the frequently asked questions email, you're answering all of the things, all the reasons why somebody might not buy this product from you, what they're concerned about, what they're interested in, what the, the things that they need to have more detail on. And you have headlines within that email for each of those different sections where you have the question and then you have the answer underneath. And what will happen is people will skim through that email and find the question that they've got and then they'll read that part. And that means that you actually can have a bit of both here. So it's, it is a balance. You don't want to write fluff that nobody's interested in reading, but 
you're also writing for thousands of different people. So you need to sometimes have parts in detail and give people a way to find the bit that's interesting to them. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I think headlines, uh, writing great headlines is very important, especially mm -hmm. in email, because if people don't click uh, your headline, that they don't know what kind of value can you bring on emails. Uh, and uh, I checked many great studies, uh, books, and uh, for example, Purple Cow, uh, mm -hmm. uh, written Steph by Godin. Steph yeah. Gordon. Yeah, and <laughs> you don't need to read this book. <laughs> you can read only headline to understand <laughs> all, <laughs> all points on this book, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, John, uh, let's talk about collecting emails. Um, yeah. I see different methods to collect emails. For example, uh, blog posts, uh, downloads, uh, uh, simple tools, various methods uh, and uh, uh, people subscribe to emails if they get the feeling to get value so uh, they know you can share more value uh, but when you send emails to sell your products when they subscribe to blog post you know to read new blog posts or uh, to case study to ebook uh, but you can sell them products can you tell how to diminish this pen points or even to uh, repurpose this uh, email uh, to sell products. I mean, like to submit call to action, any tips about that? So is the question about how do you send the email once they get on the list or is it about how do you get more people onto the list? I mean, like how to send relevant emails because if someone subscribed to blog content and uh, you send emails about selling your products, it's not a good idea. If they open e-commerce page and you promise them, okay, I will list uh, discounts. You know, if you subscribe to my email, you, you'll get discounts. That's okay. You can send them uh, emails with uh, these discounts. But if someone subscribed to blog content and you send them your products, uh, I mean, like, how to find... Uh, uh, it's more about segmentation. Uh, but how to sell people who subscribe to info content uh, but sell e-commerce products. <laughs> yeah, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? Because there's real balances here. Because if you, there are ways of doing segmentation and we've, mm -hmm. we've played with them quite a lot, right? So you could say only people who have opened these kind of articles are going to get this tag. And so only those people will get a product, a promotion of a product that's relevant to that. And you can have it set up so that someone who starts getting a sequence has a way of unsubscribing from that particular promotional sequence, and then they don't get any more emails in that promotion, and they go straight on to the next one. And what I see with all of these is, in terms of in terms of making you feel good about what you're sending, it helps. In terms of actual results, it doesn't help. Like sales go down every time that you do that. So you, there are potentially, but and I haven't tested this enough, right? There are potentially benefits long term to keeping more people on your list and more engaged of having some of those ways of like segmenting people out. But certainly in terms of like the actual sales that you're making to the to the audience, the results go down. So but those are the those are the two methods that we've ever tested for how do you how do you make sure that people are getting emails that are relevant to them? One is look at what stuff people are actually reading, which emails they're opening, what they're clicking on and use that to tag them with a with a tag saying they're interested in that top, a particular topic. 
And the second one is giveaway of people for unsubscribing from a specific email promotion. So they're getting a series of 10 emails and you say at the very top of it, if you don't want to get any more emails about this topic and this promote and these uh, over the next 10 days, then just click here and opt out. So those are the ways of doing it. But we don't do that because we just haven't seen it actually convert into it leading to higher revenue to lower on significantly lower on subscribe rates. So what we focus on is how can we make these emails as amazing as we possibly can and use that as the way to make people like receiving them. Mm -hmm. I want to share three people, very different people. Okay. Completely different people. Uh, first person, me, you know, I, <laughs> I, I usually skip emails with pictures with design because I can feel that someone is trying to sell something. But I read emails with text. So I like reading simple text, you know, and think, uh, okay, it's valuable. Uh, it's, uh, can I get benefits? Uh, my wife, she loves emails with design, <laughs> you know, nice looking emails, probably pictures uh, can print a lot more results than text. Um, and um, um, for her, it's better uh, to use this quote, like um, one picture worth a thousand words, you know, she loves. My son, he loves to play online games and he doesn't need nice looking pictures. Uh, uh, he doesn't need the text, but he needs some promise. Okay, you can earn thousand dollars a day, you know, I don't know why he started <laughs> to look the way how to earn a lot of money because uh, I usually uh, limit his budget. Uh, I think it's better to pay attention to education because I pay for all tutors. I pay for all uh, sections for everything, but I don't pay for online games and <laughs> something like this. Uh, but but if you promise him on email that he can earn thousand uh, dollars, he will jump with anything like this uh he does many times uh, uh, i'm working on that but anyway three different people i mm -hmm. think it's the same with any situation we are different all people are different can you tell how to find the format how to find this format for uh, considering your audience do we need to draw design write text or just share some promises like uh, for my son <laughs> Yeah, so it's just fascinating, right? This is comes back to that customer avatar that we we're talking about before. And the thing is, right, within your audience, you might have people who match all three of those different styles. Somebody want the promise, somebody want the design, somebody who just want text. But you can't write for everybody. What you have to do is you have to narrow down to your ideal client. And that's what that's what your customer avatar is all about. And so part of that is figuring out what kind of style do they like? What tone of voice do they respond to? And what we're finding, so people we work with have already built an audience. They've already got an organic traffic source like YouTube or podcast or SEO, whatever. So they've already got a style in the way that they communicate. And so what we're looking to do when we're writing for a client is replicate that style. We want to write as our client better than our client can. We want to mm -hmm. sound more like them than they do. That's the goal, right? And you can't always necessarily achieve it. But sometimes we can. Sometimes, you know, they're reading it. And they're like, yeah, that, I, that's what I would have liked to have written if I'd been better at writing. And so part of that understanding is not just the, the, the style of writing, but the style of design. So, for example, I'll take an extreme example to make the point. We had a client called Paintable. And Paintable are teaching people about digital art. 
and how to become a digital artist and work as a digital artist. So all of their marketing, all of their website, their blog, everything is beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's uh, paintable.cc if anybody's interested in looking at it. And they've got a very distinctive style and the way things look. And so it was really important in their emails and in all of their marketing that everything had to be at that standard. Everything had to look the way that they would want it to look. So we really had to up our design game when we worked with them. I think we've, we're have we at the right level now, but a few years ago we were working with them. We're like, man, we can't put stuff out that would embarrass them, you know, that, that's not going to be right for them. Whereas if somebody's writing often about something more prosaic, you know, something uh, uh, more results-oriented about making money online, what have you, then often it's going to be text-driven. And another another example is um, if you look at someone like Amy Porterfield, who's teaching women in their 30s, it's like a lifestyle brand, teach them how to make money selling courses. Hers is very beautiful. And it's very much about her lifestyle. Like there's lots of photos of her and there's photos of her beautiful house and her trips and her handsome husband and like all of this. So that's kind of part of the style of what her audience is after. And so you've got to figure out and you've got to identify for your audience what style do they want. And you've got to accept that you're not going to talk to every single person. That's not going to be perfect for everyone in your audience. But if it's perfect for the ideal client, then all the people who are close to that ideal client will also be much more likely to like that style. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Valuable, valuable. John, let's talk about AI. Okay. If, <laughs> if I open Jet GPT, I can ask, please write me a mail. I can get it for a few seconds. <laughs> can you tell uh, what kind of difference can you provide uh, if companies can use AI? Of course, I understand that uh, today it's very important to have human touch. It's very important to have experience. But uh, anyway, companies are looking for ways to use uh, automation tools like AI. Uh, tell how you stand out from these AI tools can, that can do this job for a few seconds. Yeah. So in fact, we use AI as well. So our copywriters actually do their whole first draft using AI. And we've actually built our own AI tool as well. And you can go use that and it'll be better than ChatGPT. It's built on top of ChatGPT and other AI tools. And it's got a layer on top where basically we took all of the findings, all of the insights from our coaches, from our copywriting coach, our strategy coach, and we took transcriptions of everything that they went through and they did. We took all the emails they write and we uploaded that into this AI system. And so you can use that to write even better emails than you get from ChatGPT just as quickly. And you can get that at datadrivenmarketing.ai. And that's totally for free. Um, you just have to, to sign up to use it. Now, what's the benefit of the human touch on top of that? What we're finding at the moment is that the stuff you get from the AI is a good first draft. Now, if you don't have budget to go and work with an actual copywriter at the moment, then use that. Get the first draft and maybe you can improve it slightly yourself, tweak the tone of voice, or maybe you just use what you get from that. But right now, there's still quite a big gap between what that first draft is and what is really good. And that's where that copywriter comes in. That's where that human touch comes in as well. So, but I'll give you the process to use to get a better first draft out of ChatGPT or out of um, our AI tool than you're currently getting. So here's what you do. The stuff that I said about already, the customer avatar, the customer language document, the 
email templates and the the structure to the emails what you do is you upload each of those in turn into the ai tool so let's say you go to datadrivenmarketing.ai you upload you start using the tool and you say i want you to write some emails for me and you tell it this is my customer avatar people you know, women in their 30s who are earning this much money who are after they've got this kind of problem and you tell them all the information about your customer audience and then you say this is the language that they use and you upload all of your customer language document in there where you say if you don't have that yet you put this is the kind of phrases kind of things that they say and then you tell them i want you to write an email in this structure and you give it the structure to it and they it writes an email for you and then you say now i want you to match this tone of voice and you give it details about your tone of voice. And that will then improve the email further. So all of that is going to get you a really good first draft. It's not going to be as good as a copywriter writing it. Now, that might be different in a year, right? ChatGPT wasn't around a year ago. We yeah. didn't even know about it, right? Or at least I wasn't, you know, it wasn't commonly available. And in two, three years, three years, five years, probably that's going to be way, way, way further along. But right now, the copywriters are able to tweak it, refine it, make the language better, understand the audience better than the than the AI is possibly capable of. Yeah, it's only the beginning of AI journey. Yeah. And <laughs> I think AI will be like a tractor, you know, when farmers uh, digged uh, manually uh, the land, but they started to drive uh, tractors um, to uh, provide results much faster. And AI is the same. We still need someone who can write prompts. We still someone who can edit results. And I use AI a lot, but uh, it doesn't mean that I can use uh, for niches that I don't understand. For example, if you ask me to write uh, great content for weight loss, I can't because I don't know this topic. Uh, I tried and I failed. I just get generic information. Uh, John, I want to ask about mistakes. I yeah. made a lot of mistakes, terrible mistakes, uh, slight mistakes. I keep doing them because in marketing, I don't know how to learn without doing mistakes. It's part of the process to learn. Tell about mistakes that you often see when companies or people still do and your tips how to find another way. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some really fundamental ones that nearly everybody makes all the time. And we've kind of touched on some of them so far. So most people, for example, don't make it easy enough to get onto their email list and they don't build up a big enough email list. And I give an example. So we had a client we were working with. They had built up a massive audience on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. And they had lots of website traffic and they'd done loads of articles. And then they weren't happy with how much money they were making. They were kind of like 20... 30,000 a month, that was the kind of level they were normally at. And they were getting about 100 opt-ins a week to their email list. And so what we did is we went through and we optimized their blog to increase the opt-ins. We made better lead magnets. We promoted them in more places on their website. And their email opt-ins per week went up to 800 per week from 100. So this is fantastic. Yeah. And then we start to do the same thing with their social media, with their YouTube and their Facebook and their Instagram and promoting on there. And then it went up to 5,000 a week. And so the mistake that they've been making there is for years, they haven't been using email. They haven't been getting enough people onto their email list. So that's like a really standard, normal one that I see. Another one is that people aren't allowing people, allowing their customers to spend more money easily with them. They're making it actually sometimes quite difficult for someone to buy additional products. So there's a couple of ways that you can fix this problem. Um, order bumps and upsells are the common ones that 
uh, work fantastically well for this. They're both the same concept, which is when someone's buying, offer them additional products that they can buy. It's an old idea, right? You go to McDonald's and you say, can I get a Big Mac? And they say, do you want fries with that? You go to the cinema and you order some a cinema ticket and they offer you popcorn. You go to buy a car and they offer you the better stereo, alloy wheels and leather seats. That's the basic concept of it. But in online business, the mistake I see is very few people actually do that, have that way of making it easy for someone to buy something else. So this works in, in online courses. It works in e-commerce really well as well. I had a, a guy I worked with um, running, he's called The Spy Guy, and he was running his business and he was offering these uh, products and he didn't have an order bump. And he set this up in Shopify using uh, as a tool called Zipify, I think. And straight away, he started making thousands of dollars extra in revenue per sale. And I had somebody, I had somebody come up to me at a conference the other day who'd seen my talk where I explained there's like eight tactics that I talk about of how they can make more revenue. And he he implemented number one, which was the order bump. And he said he makes, he, since he'd seen me last, since he'd seen my talk, he'd made over $100,000 in additional revenue from implementing that. I was like, great, did you implement um, tactic number two of the upsells? He's like, oh, I forgot about that one. It's like, no! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So all of these opportunities to increase revenue per sale is a massive opportunity that people are really missing out on at the moment. Great, great. Love it, love it. Um, John. Yes. Let's imagine you started today from scratch without any experience. You didn't write any email in your life. Okay, you, you wrote a few emails, but without the goal to sell anything. Um, it's your first day in email marketing, in business growth. Uh, what would you do today if you start from scratch? Well, I mean, the first thing that I do, and this is exactly what I, I did myself, is I'd start taking courses in this because mm -hmm. there are great courses out there in email marketing. And if you try and figure this stuff out from scratch, you are just going to spend way too long trying to do it. So there's courses from people like copy hacker we've got a course that we sell at datadrivenmarketing.co um there are great uh great courses from a whole bunch of different people digital marketer have got some really cheap ones black friday's coming up and digital marketer normally sell their courses pretty cheap their email marketing course is okay uh they're set there one about sale uh, funnels is, is really pretty good so i'd start with that and like look up what is the things that everybody else has already figured out then I'd go and start studying emails that other people have been writing. So I would sign up for um, lots of different email lists from different brands who I thought were doing a really good job with email marketing or might be doing a good job and start looking at those and analyzing what is good about them from what I've learned in my courses and what is not so good and start to work on how can I actually be put, able to put together good email promotions. And then I'd want to start testing it. So I'd want to find a client who would be willing to accept me working with them when I've got very little experience. So you're going to have to kind of have to offer it very cheap or for free or only on results or some way or, you know, for a friend or something to try and get my foot in the door and start testing it. Now, when you start testing it, what you can do is start looking at a number of different steps in the process. So can you, how many people can you get to open the email and track this in a spreadsheet? How many people can you get to click on the link, how many people get to the sales page? If you're also writing the sales page and redoing that, how many people get from the sales page to the checkout page? And then how many people get from the checkout page to buying? 
and you look at that and you say, well, what's a good benchmark and how am I doing against that? So a good benchmark for opening your emails is about 30%. For clicking through is about 5%. For sales page through to checkout page is about 20%. From checkout page to sale is between 20 and even 50% if you do a really, really good job on that. Where are you missing that benchmark? And then go, right, let me give this another go. Let me see if I could do this again, but do it better the next time. Go back, study the course, look at all the other people's emails again, and try again and do it better. And if you just keep iterating through that as fast as you can, you start to get better much faster. You have to know exactly where it is you need to focus, and you have to use what other people have already figured out. Don't try and just do what you think seems like a good idea. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's better to learn and act. If you overlearn without and doing nothing, you get nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. John, and I have my final question. Uh, I have a, a bunch of questions, by the way, but um, I'm going to follow your content on LinkedIn or on other social media because we have limits on this podcast. Guys, I recommend to anyone to follow John on social media. Uh, but I have my final question about uh, future. I want to ask you, take your crystal ball and let us know what kind of future will be. We have AI today and uh, technologies are growing fast. Uh, I have people who are looking for ways how to learn from scratch, considering that technologies can change this environment. Apple is going to launch augmented reality. Many things will change. ML still uh, work well. Uh, but I don't know about the future. Uh, mm. Tell your thoughts about the future, what kind of future will be, and how we can adapt to this possible future. Yeah, so I think that one of the you got to look at what isn't going to change. And this is advice that I don't know if you know the software company Basecamp. They run this project management software, and they had an investment from Jeff Bezos very, very early on when they started the company. And they got the chance to talk with him and get his advice. And one of the things he would say to them is, look at what stuff isn't going to change in 10 years and work on that. Don't work on the hacks, the, the quick secret things that you can do that are going to work just now. Look at the stuff that's going to be the same in 10 years. And the thing that I see consistently that changes the absolute least is that understanding your audience is the fundamental part of running yeah. a business. And if people don't put enough work into really understanding their audience, like we talked about before, their pain points, their desires, what is it that they're really after? If you go back and you read scientific advertising from 1921, one of the best marketing books ever written, it's 100 years ago. And he's talking about these exact things. He's talking about direct mail and different tactics that might not work anymore. But he's also talking about understanding your audience, their pains, their desires, what they're after. You read breakthrough advertising from what was it the 1950s, something like that. And he's really focusing on how can you understand the benefits that people are after? What's the big idea that you're trying to convey to them? Those kinds of things are fundamental and don't change over time in marketing. So as much as possible, you can focus on that. And then all of the other stuff you kind of see as details that may change. Awesome. I couldn't agree more. I think many great books were written before digital because people are the same <laughs> nothing changed uh, after 52 million years <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> of humanity but technologies are changing yeah we need to consider but uh, what i like in books that were written before digital because uh, offers didn't try to satisfy algorithms <laughs> they try to satisfy human being uh, but today i often see different angle when offers uh, share what p 
people are looking for when their audience want to know how to satisfy algorithms, email, LinkedIn, SEO, doesn't matter. Think about human being. All algorithms uh, today work for human being to help people, to serve people. Okay, when terminators will kill all human beings, then yeah, uh, approaches will change. But we still have time, you know, <laughs> to create content for human being. Uh, John, it's a big pleasure to get on my show. I love it. So valuable. Uh, tell the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Yeah, so you can listen to the podcast where I share a lot more detail about each of these tactics. I interview my team, I interview course creators and other business owners about how they're using these different tactics. And that is the art of selling online courses. And you can either just search for that in your podcast player, or you can go to datadrivenmarketing.co slash podcast. Um, if you're interested in working with us and you want to find out if you qualify, because we we partner with a very limited number of uh, potential clients, uh, just go to datadrivenmarketing.co and book a call and we will, you know, be able to talk through if you if you're a good fit to work with us or not. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully all of our socials will be linked up in the show notes as well. You can go follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube and, and what have you as well. Okay, nice. I subscribe to your podcast. Yeah, I recommend to anyone to listen to the podcast. Uh, you can find all the links in the description below. So find these links. John, it's a big pleasure. Love it. So valuable. Welcome back anytime to share more valuable insights. Uh, I'm going to follow you. Recommend to anyone to follow John because you can see a lot of value. So if you want to become a much better marketer, you need to do it. Okay, guys. Love you. See you. Thanks for tuning in to Unmiss. Enjoyed the show? Drop us a review on your favorite platform and help us spread the digital marketing wisdom. See you next episode.